Since the first compilation, software programs have contained flaws, errors by programmers that malicious hackers discover and exploit. If you want to know the most current dangerous software errors, you need to look no further than the Common Weakness Enumeration List, maintained by the Homeland Security Systems Engineering and Development Institute. Joining me in studio for what's on the latest list and how they maintain it, Project Lead Chris Lavendis at the Homeland Security Systems Engineering and Development Institute. Chris, good to have you on. Delighted to be with you. And Scott Randalls is director of the Federally Funded Research and Development Center Program Management Office at DHS. Scott, good to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be a part of your show. And we should say they're both from the DHS Science and Technology Directorate. And Scott, we'll start with you. Tell us how this program is set up because it's a little Byzantine. It is. So the work was done at the request of CISA, one of the agencies within DHS, and it was done by the Homeland Security System Engineering Institute, which is an FFRDC operated by the MITRE Corporation, and S&T is the sponsor of that FFRDC. So it's an internal center, if you will. The FFRDC operates as an entity within DHS to support and address the hard problems on behalf of the department. They're an independent entity within the department. Okay. And Chris, the common numerator list, the the list of common weaknesses, this is something that evolves over time because the weaknesses, say, of the COBOL and of the C and of the Java era might be totally different than the weaknesses of software produced, say, in the DevSecOps era? That's correct. So the last time we did the list prior to 2019 was in 2011. And really the biggest difference between the 2011 list and the 2019 list is that in 2011, we used a really sharp subject matter experts from around industry and government to come up with a consensus opinion on what the most prevalent weaknesses were. And then we used a scoring system to rank those weaknesses. In 2019, we've shifted to a data-driven methodology that doesn't rely on subject matter expertise, but rather relies on data coming out of the National Vulnerability Database, which is run by NIST. And what we do is we look at the prevalence of CWEs against 2017 and 2018 years data, and then we see what the severity scores of those CWEs are, and then that gives us our new rank order. And that data is derived from industry reports or from software vendors? Where does the data originate? So that data originates from the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures Program, and CVE entries are actual exploitable vulnerabilities that have been detected. And the CVEs then go over to the National Vulnerability Database, which is operated by the National Institutes of Standard and Technology, or NIST, and NIST then assigns a severity score to each one of those CVE entries. I see. So it's almost an index, if you will, of what the data is showing writ large. I think that's a good way to look at it, and that vulnerability data originating into the CVE program can come from product vendors, it can come from research organizations, it can come from individual researchers anywhere in the world. It's a free and open program. And of course, for all of these programs, we encourage strong community participation. And the weaknesses that come into software, I mean, this is something I've been following for decades, and you always hear about programs to automate bug finding and to automate the quality control of software and software engineers. And yet, decades later, we still have regular production of flaws. What is behind that? I mean, why has... Why is it still seemingly so much in the craft age? So if we look at the tools themselves, we have static analysis tools. And for organizations that take software assurance very seriously, those organizations will run those static analysis tools against a code base. 
and ideally identify weaknesses that are resident within that code so that they can remediate that out of the code before the product goes to market. As a general rule, there are there are different size software vendors. You've got big, enormous vendors. You've got mid-sized vendors, and you have mom-and-pop shops. Doing software assurance is a non-trivial activity, and it does cost money. So the reason why weaknesses still remain in the code is because Certain organizations may just not check for those weaknesses. Other organizations may aggressively check for those weaknesses, but the tools that do the checking, the automated checking, are just simply not perfect. And so that industry, the software assurance industry, continues to evolve and mature. The costs of executing software assurance activities continue to decrease, and a program like Common Weakness Enumeration enables a standardized way for those tools to output results to make it much easier for people to run software assurance activities. We're speaking with Chris Lavendis, Project Lead at the Homeland Security Systems Engineering and Development Institute, and Scott Randalls, Director of the Federally Funded Research and Development Center Program Management Office, both in the Science and Technology Directorate at DHS. And Scott, what's the overall objective for all of this compilation and all of this cogitating over the weaknesses that you put out to the public? What do you hope to be the program outcomes or or mission outcomes? The objective is to assist CISA, which is an agency within DHS, to get information out to the public about software, cyber security, and make sure the public is aware of these so the public can be safer. And I guess the public is anyone potentially, but I imagine it's programmers, software manufacturers, and maybe federal agencies themselves? Absolutely. This is for the end user as well as as people who are developing the software so they can resolve the fixes and apply the patches needed prior to getting out to the public. Now, given the source of the list, which is the large database compiled and evaluated through NIST, what about zero-day threats such as that recently came up that was discovered by the NSA in Windows 10 and suddenly from CISA there was an emergency directive, I think as we speak, agencies are installing those patches. Is there a way that those kinds of zero-day and new discoveries eventually make their way onto the list, or how does that work? So the CWE list deals with weaknesses that can become exploitable vulnerabilities once the operating system or the code goes into an operational environment. And so I, I think the best way from a CWE perspective to respond to that is if there were weaknesses in Windows 10 that could have been exploited or are being exploited, then if those are covered by the CWE corpus, there are currently 808 weaknesses identified in that corpus, then had those weaknesses been remediated prior to that operating system going into uh, operational usage, that would not be an exploitable vulnerability at this point. So in a sense, you're really operating upstream from published software. That's correct. So the idea is, and really this is sort of the original idea behind CWE back in you know the early 2000s and then when it became an official program in, in 2006, the idea was we were finding exploitable vulnerabilities and we asked ourselves the question, and of course this was well prior to my time on the program, but a group of smart folks asked themselves the question – How do we prevent those vulnerabilities from existing in the first place? And that was sort of the birth of the concept behind CWE. CWE is earlier in the security lifecycle because it deals with the development phase. Eliminate the weaknesses in the development phase, then you don't have them as exploitable vulnerabilities in ops. 
And Scott, do you have a mechanism for going to developers and the large software manufacturers and getting some metric or indication that this list is actually helping them improve their developmental processes? Not from the actual manufacturers themselves, but we're getting a lot of inquiries from the public at large and industry at large asking us to update the list frequently so they are aware of it. So we recognize that it's being used and it's well received in the industry. And how have the weaknesses evolved over time? Are there different processes or different stages in development where the weaknesses occur? I mean, what's the difference between, say, the list now and the list 10 years ago? So I think that's a good question. So there's a lot of overlap between the two lists, which tells us that the subject matter expertise brought to bear in 2011 was pretty strong. What we see at the top of the list is sort of a reordering of things. So, for example, in 2011, SQL injection weaknesses took the number one spot. SQL injection has now dropped to number six, but it's still relatively high on the list, whereas buffer memory issues is now in the number one spot And then at the bottom of the list, we see similar things. We've seen some things drop off the list while we've seen new things come onto the list. So there's still tremendous overlap between the list. There's a different ordering of the two lists. But the weaknesses themselves tend to be pretty constant. And what it tells us is that for anything that's dropped off the list, that's a really good sign of people making better decisions in development. For things that have come on the list, that's a sign that there are new kinds of weaknesses that are materializing or old weaknesses that are well known that people are still making mistakes around in the development cycle. Yeah, so as long as something like SQL injection or buffer overflow are in there, then the denial-of-service attack is a very potent possibility for systems. Oh, absolutely. And those are two well-understood for many, many years kinds of weaknesses. And Scott, any plans to maybe increase the frequency of the updates, given how dynamic the software industry actually is? Yes. The Institute is going to continue to work with CISA to update the list more frequently. More likely it will be on an annual basis going forward rather than on a multi-year basis as it has been in the past. Scott Randalls is director of the federally funded Research and Development Center Program Management Office at the Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate. Thanks so much. Thank you. My pleasure. And Chris Lavendis is project lead at the Homeland Security Systems Engineering and Development Institute. Chris, good having you on. Thank you for having us. We'll post this interview along with a link to the software errors list at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.